We'll be reading today from 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to hear. Glad to have you here today. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Uh, we are in the middle of a series. We're working our way through 1 John. We've titled this series, Know That You Know God. Because to know that you know God is heaven on earth. To know that you know God is heaven on earth. And we've been working through some conditions for fellowship. Now we come to this next condition, love one another. It's based on 1 John 2, 7 through 11. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. That was the text that was just read. Let me be, begin by sharing with you a story. I, I think some of you probably aren't familiar with this story. Those of you that have been with us for a while probably know uh, exactly what I'm talking about here. But uh, it was over a decade ago that uh, we were, uh, actually it was about six years ago that we were in Sandra Day O'Connor High School. But uh, it was, this event happened about uh, over a decade ago, about 11, 12 years ago, and that I'm going to share with you. But how many remember the Sandra Day O'Connor days? You guys remember those days? Yep, there's still a lot of people here from those days. And, uh, and so we were there to try to save some money so that we could build our own building. And that's why we uh, were going to the school. And, and while we were there, the elders thought, and we, we discussed this, that it would be really good for us to stop leasing office space and maybe buy a home and use that as our office. And uh, that way it could build some equity and we could take that money and put it into our Dare You to Move campaign so that we could raise the money that we need. And so we thought, that's a great idea. That's a brilliant idea. And so the church bought the home right next door to Nancy and I. And, um, and that creates some issues uh, enough. But, uh, but we thought it was a great idea and we we're going to stay there for a while. But, but the guy right next door to us hated us despised us, told us regularly that we have no business being in that neighborhood and began to rally all the neighbors against us. And he was just flat out mean. In fact, he would antagonize people that were coming into the church office uh, across the fence, just bully them. And uh, boy, did that upset me majorly. I mean, it was just, it was like, you have got to be kidding me. And it turned into what we thought was a good 
very good thing, it became a very bad thing. Now, we always tried to respond with love and dignity and honor, and I think we did that for the most part. And uh, there was a guy that was attending the church at that time. He was, uh, was really into, and I think he was actually a cage fighter. And, uh, <laughs> and he came over to me because he had been bullied by this particular guy, and he said, hey, Pastor Ray, that's really a pain, isn't it? I go, yeah, it's terrible pain. He said, Pastor Ray, I can take care of that problem for you. <laughs> How much will it cost me? So, so I, I didn't say that. How much would it cost me? But I go, oh, no, 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 no. No, we got it covered. Thank you, though. You need more discipleship, don't you? <laughs> but uh, that, that was really interesting. It was interesting while we were meeting there that we had an elder board meeting there, and uh, one of our elders got their back window bashed out while we were meeting. And uh, the guy down the street, who was so-called a Christian, who sang in his church choir, came, and I went out to the door to meet with him, and he yelled and screamed at me and just was very derogatory about us being there and all this. And I'm thinking, what? And even the guy that was intimidating us that lived right next, he was supposedly uh, supposed to be a really good Catholic man, who was part of their marriage enrichment program at the Catholic church that he attended. And I go, what part of love one another do you guys not understand? I mean, that's what I'm trying to figure it out. It's like, what in the world? And uh, my son Russ, a few weeks ago, we were watching some of the playoff football games and he told us that he likes the German language because it has words that are very descriptive of how we feel from time to time. And so he gave me this word, which has about five syllables and 20 letters to it. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it here. But this is the essence of what this word means. It means a face in need of a slap. <laughs> I like the German language, too, because that's what I felt with this guy. A face in need of a slap, a slappable face. <laughs> Have you ever felt like that before? Oh my goodness. That person has a slappable face. It's a, kind of a bad way to characterize somebody, but that's true. You just go, oh, I'd like to slap them. So that's kind of normal emotions, and, and I was working through that because that's exactly how I felt. I was so eaten up with bitterness and wrath that I, I, I had to get on my knees and pour my heart out to God I was, I, because I knew this attitude, this seething attitude underneath my veneer and pretense of being the nice pastor and all of this was just, it was phony because I wanted to beat this guy up. And, uh, and so I got on my knees, I poured my heart out to God, and I'm telling you, he met me there. And he began to transform my heart. It was supernatural. There's no other way uh, for me to explain it. And, and in that, he taught me how to love my enemy, and he let me know very clearly that he's in charge, not me. And he also let it be known that I'm not acting like a son of God. That, that seething inside is not consistent with someone that knows him. And, uh, and he pointed out also to me that I was more concerned about the church making money than this guy and his family's salvation. That hurt. 
And he crushed my idolatry of having my identity in having a successful church. He totally transformed my heart, causing me to actually pity the guy. Because he reminded me of all the wealth of riches that I have in him. And I began to actually feel bad for the guy because he's just acting out of a deficit. And the people in the neighborhood are too. They're just, they're empty. They don't have the, the contentment and completeness that is only found in Jesus Christ. And so what was interesting about that, the elders agreed that it was, we'd been in there for about a year, none of the neighbors liked us there, we were continuing to be intimidated. We had every right to be there, by the way. We could have forced it down their throat, but we just said, well, that's not very Christ-like, nor is it very loving. And so after a year, we sold the house, and the church made $100,000. Can you believe that? We had no idea, and then the market dropped. That was, that was back in 2008. When you remember when the market dropped? We got out of there just in time. I mean, it's, that's crazy. Listen, that's the providential hand of God. So when you look at the circumstances of your life, you're wondering where God is. He's there. He's working. He has your best interest at heart. Keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on him. He's always working. He's always working for you and in you and through you. And that's what I discovered more than anything. I go, oh my goodness, God, what a great plan. I'm thinking it was a bad plan. It's like, what did we do here? And so we put that money, $100,000, in our Dare You to Move campaign, and that was like a nice boost, and we accomplished exactly what we were trying to accomplish. Within a year, the providential hand of God. It's amazing. And uh, his wife later was diagnosed with cancer, and, and my wife and I took them a meal and told them that we were praying for them. I would have never been able to do that before this before this encounter with Christ and all that he did in my heart. And so look at your sermon notes here, part of the intro. Some people are easier to love than others. Do you agree with that? Uh, anybody you're sitting close to, don't look at them. <laughs> don't look over at them. Don't point them out in here, okay? Because uh, I'm sure they can be even in your own family. They are really hard to love. They have a slappable face. <laughs> and so, so that's, that's part of what we have to work through. Some people are easier to love than others. Here's the next kind of idea there, part of the intro. The gospel frees you. This is what's so amazing about the gospel. The gospel frees us to love people who hate us without needing love from them in return. Because you're operating not out of a deficit when you're loving people, you're operating out of an abundance of his love. You're so filled up with his love, so you're able to love, love others. All the love you need, you have in Christ. It is the love you have been looking for your whole life, whether you realize that or not. This is the love you have been looking for your whole life, his love for us. Now, Matthew 5, 43 through 48, this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, just part of this. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and you'll be like your Father in heaven. And uh, we, we are reflecting him and because of his love for us. So let me bring you up to speed if you haven't been with us. Um, so we learned the first four verses of this uh, book 
chapter one, verses one through four, that intimacy with God is a blood-bought gift and it is life's most satisfying reality. There's nothing more satisfying than intimacy with God. And um, that's what we learned. And then we started looking at the conditions for fellowship. By the way, I said it's a blood-bought gift. Intimacy with God is not something that you uh, can achieve. It's something you receive through Christ Jesus. And so it's a blood-bought gift. But then we started looking at the conditions for fellowship. These are signs that you have an intimate relationship with God because this is what he'll do in your heart. And, and so we talked about uh, walking in the light. That was 1 John 1, 5 through 10. And then last weekend, embrace your advocate, 1 John 2, 1 through 6. And now we come to love, love one another, 1 John 2, verses 7 through 11. So here's the thesis statement we're working on this morning. To love one another is both an old and new commandment. And then I give you the definition, uh, to love one another is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. And then to love one another is the distinguishing mark of a Christian. You can see that on your notes there, it's all laid out. So let's, let's work on that first one. To love one another is both, both an old and new commandment. Let me read again verses seven through eight. He says, beloved, I loved how he talks to, to us, words of... Uh, Uh, terms of endearment, truly. And so he says, beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him, talking about Christ, and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, if you remember, uh, let's, let's talk about this beloved. He's using this term of endearment. And remember last week, we started off the message. He started off actually chapter two by saying, my little children. And it's interesting, throughout this book, he does that seven times. And then he uses the word beloved. The idea is trying to get across, don't you know how much you are loved? Not just by me, but by God. That's what he's trying to get across here. And he uses that six times. And, and what, he's, what I think he's helping us to see is that God always tells us who we are before telling us what we are to do. The Christian life is, is more about being than doing. It will change your, your doing, there's no doubt about it. We are not human doings, we are human beings. And it's out of that being who we are in Christ, then we do what we need to do. You don't reverse that order, it's called religion. And that's moralism. It has nothing to do with the gospel. And, um, and so you, you don't work for your identity, you work from your identity. And I think he's also teaching us here, you always connect before you correct. And he does this throughout the whole book. He's bringing correction, and yet at the same time, he's saying, my, my little children, beloved, So he's trying to bring them back to kind of square one. This is the basis of what I'm telling you, that you are deeply loved. And and so what's interesting about the writer of this book, John, 
John is Jesus' nearest and dearest friend. When you look at the 12 disciples, so the 12 disciples were closer to Jesus than anybody else, but among those 12, there were three that were even closer to the, than all the 12. Anybody remember? Peter, James, and John. John, the, the one that wrote this book. But among those three, there was one that was particularly close to, to Jesus, and that was John. He had a real close relationship, and it's, it's fascinating because in the gospel according to John, John refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. Six times in the gospel, in, in John's gospel. You get his point? Oh, by the way, I'm telling you all this information about the personal work of Jesus Christ. I'm his favorite. <laughs> yep, that's right. I'm his favorite, which, by the way, we should all believe that. You should feel that I'm his favorite. I'm really special to him. And, and, and the reason why you should actually feel that way is because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have his undivided attention, unconditional affection, and unlimited action working in you, for you, and around you, and through you. I mean, he's working. He loves you. And, uh, and so that's, that's important. You can say that. Uh, I argue back and forth with, with uh, a gal that's in the first service, and she always comes up to me and says, hey, I'm his favorite. <laughs> and I say, no, I'm his favorite. And so that should be common language. Here's your first fill in the blank. Uh, so how is this an old commandment? It is old because God commanded his people in the Old Testament to love him and others. And so the Ten Commandments lays this out loving God and others so uh, the first four of the commandments give us our love for God and the next six of the commandments give us our love for one another kind of shows out shows us what that looks like of course Jesus summarized that for us it's called the great commandments found in Matthew 22 30 34 through 40 and uh, and basically this is how he put it he summarized all the law and all the prophets and what the, the Bible is all about And he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is a beautiful way to live. That's the sweet spot of the Christian life. Loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself. Listen, you don't need to try to work on having a purpose statement. That's your purpose statement as a Christian. Live your life just saturated with his love for you and your love for him, and then let that overflow in your life as you love others in your life. That's the essence of the, of the Christian life. Now, here's the next. So how is this a new commandment? Well, it is new because Christ Jesus gave us the highest expression of love we'll ever see. He gave us the highest expression of love we'll ever see. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. That's Romans 5.8. There's a great analogy here that he gives us in Ephesians 5.25. He's speaking to us men, and he says, men, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's beautiful. And... Um, So let me give you the gospel. You need to hear the gospel every week. It's important for us to understand the gospel. The gospel is that we are glorious image bearers of God gone tragically bad. And all of us have rebelled against the God who made us. 
All human problems are ultimately symptoms and our separation from God is the cause. We need God, we're desperate for God. But God did the most difficult and beautiful thing imaginable to win us back and lavish us with infinite and eternal love by sending his son to rescue us. Now let me read to you, it's a parable of God's love like most parables, they all fall short at some point. So this will certainly fall short, and I'll explain that to you. But listen to this parable, because I think it really captures the incarnation of Christ. And uh, so there was a, once a, a prince who went out into a field and saw a woman, saw a woman he loved. She was common and simple, and he desired to marry her and love her. And so to win her hand, he humbled himself and put on the clothes of a peasant and went out and took a job in his own field, working and laboring alongside of her, winning her heart so that she would love him. And on her wedding day, he revealed to her he was the king. And that's what God has done for us, but he's even done more this king who loves us laid down his life for us. I would encourage you, you need to meditate on that. That needs to capture your, your thoughts, your heart, and your imagination every day. And, uh, and so I think what, it's, what I'm trying to get across here is, is that the gospel is the greatest love story of all times. It should sweep you off of your feet. And uh, Christ is the groom and the church is the bride. And I know, I know most guys aren't fond of being called the bride of Christ, okay? I, I understand that. And any more than women like being called sons of God. But it's, it's, an, it's an analogy. It's an analogy to help us to understand Christ's deep affection for us. And it's, he's speaking generally. We're, we together are the bride of Christ, not individually, but we together, the church. And, uh, and so this is what you need to know um, about his love for you, that there's no pleasure on earth. Think of the greatest pleasures you've ever experienced on earth. There's no pleasure on earth that compares with his boundless and irresistible love for you, for you. And once you've tasted of his love, believe me, you are ruined for anything else. In fact, this would be the common language. It's like, I've never been more loved. Oh, my goodness. And you should be basking in that love every day. That would be normal Christianity. So when you, by grace through faith in Jesus, make your home in his love and are regularly swept up into loving encounters with God through his word and prayer and fellowship with others, the more your life will be characterized by God's love. So you're gonna leave here today because we're talking about love one another, and to do that, you don't roll up your sleeves and try harder. It's not gonna work. But what do you do? You come back to his love. So if you're acting unkind to someone or unloving, what do you do? You do what I did. You fall on your knees before God and cry out to him and allow him to transform your heart. God, I'm desperate for your love. It's evident by how I'm acting and how I'm responding to people and how I'm stressed out over my life. So God, please, please 
Please pour your love into my heart. Let me have an encounter with you. Let me know you. And uh, so to love one another is both an old and new commandment. Here's the definition. It's the next uh, big idea here on the notes. The overflow of joy. So to love one another is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. That gladly meets the needs of others. So it's the overflow of joy in God, his love, and all that God is for us in Christ Jesus that gladly meets the needs of others. There's a great uh, scene in the gospel according to John. Uh, It's a beautiful example of this love. It actually starts that chapter. It's chapter 13 of the gospel of John. And it starts that talking about God's, uh, that Jesus' love and affection for his disciples. And, And what's interesting about this, this is on the night that Jesus would be betrayed and Jesus and his disciples went into a home to celebrate the Passover meal. And, and shortly after him being betrayed, he would be soon hanging on the cross for, for his disciples and all of us. And, uh, and so what's interesting about this day and time, before you entered into a home, it was common if they had a servant, the servant would come outside and, and wash everybody's feet. But if you didn't have a servant in the home, then those in the party would all take turns washing each other's feet. Because keep in mind, they, they wore sandals, and it was pretty dusty and dirty. And not only that, when they would uh, eat at a table, they didn't eat at tables like what we did. They typically would recline on the floor with a pillow. And so sometimes those feet were a little bit too up close and personal, okay? You know what I mean? And it could, it's just like, ah, I'm trying to eat here. Would you get your feet over here? And so, and so that's, that's part of the context here. But what's crazy about this story is that they go into this home and nobody washes anybody's feet. They don't, wash, they don't wash each other's feet. And the reason for this, one of the reasons, is that before this, the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. So they're pretty self-absorbed and very self-centered. And so Jesus goes around And he puts a towel on himself, and then he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And when he comes to Peter, Peter says, Lord, you can't wash my feet. Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of me. And then, of course, Peter goes, oh, okay, wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head, please. I want you. And that's his response. And I was thinking if I I tried to put myself in Jesus' shoes here and going around washing the disciples' feet, knowing the one, and Jesus knew the one that would betray him. When I get to him, if it was me, I would ask for that wire brush. (laughs) This will teach you from betraying me. But he didn't do that. Okay. He's not like me. Thank God. And... um, and so he washes their feet. And then at the end of this, I mean, I've, I've imagined being there. And if you were there, he would have washed your feet. The God of the galaxies. The creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth. And it's a picture of what he's going to do on the cross, really. It's just a dim glimpse of what he's about to do on the cross. That he's, he came to not not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's amazing. It's overwhelming. When he gets to the end, he says, 
You call me Lord and teacher, and that's right, that's who I am. But if I, your Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you should wash one another's feet. He's giving us the perfect lesson in, in servant leadership. He said, if you're a leader, you serve. You serve the people around you. My wife and I have had the privilege of serving the people here at Desert Breeze for many years, and it is our pleasure to serve you. And we want to continue to work at being the best servants in the whole place. And that's, that's servant leadership. And, um, and so, so uh, to love one another is, is both... Uh, is both an old and new commandment. It is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. And listen to this. You guys are familiar with, how many are familiar with John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Well, 1 John 3.16 is, is just as beautiful, if not more beautiful. Listen, listen to what... Uh, what John says here, 1 John 3.16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, for one another. Here's your next fill in the blank on your notes. So love is being others directed because you already have your prize. You already have his love for you and his truth that has set you free and you're, you're filled to overflowing So it's the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. Psalm 63.3 says, his steadfast love is better than life, than anything in life. Now, last weekend's question, I started the message off by asking this question, what is the greatest need of those around you? And some of you gave some really great answers. But here's my answer to that question. The greatest need of those around you, such as your spouse or your kids or your coworkers or your family and friends or those that you're serving, their greatest need is your holiness, your wholeness, your healthiness, and ultimately your happiness because all of those holiness and wholeness and healthiness will bring phenomenal happiness. And that's the best thing that you can give to them. You see, if you try to love others before experiencing God's boundless and irresistible love on your own, then you are destined to make all of your relationships an effort to complete yourself, and you will believe one of two codependency lies. Let me give them to you. You'll believe either like this. One, I need this person to be complete. Or here's the second one. If this person needs me, I'll be complete. So listen to me. Ladies, ladies, listen up. There's no guy on this planet that can complete you. Only Christ can do that. Gentlemen, listen to me. There's no woman on this planet that can complete you. Only Christ can do that. And if you're looking for that relationship to complete you, listen, what you're gonna do is you're gonna crush it under the weight of your unrealistic expectations because you're trying to get from that relationship what you should be getting from God. And only him alone can bring a completeness and a contentedness. And then out of that abundance, then we cultivate relationships. That makes for healthy relationships. 
you becoming healthy. Then you're going to respond with love and truth in that relationship. Here's the next point. Love is concerned about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. So, so love to love one another is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. And so these are the needs of others. When we look at suffering, we're concerned, love is concerned about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. Now, we live in a day and time when more and more people and churches are passionately talking about the missionary labor of social justice and education and literacy and medicine and prosperity and human flourishing. And uh, I'm glad for that. I'm happy for that. That's what we're about. But that's not the only thing that we're about here. We, we want to continue to do a, a great work here in the community and doing all that. And you hear all of that talk oftentimes, and I hear this from churches and leaders, with very little talk, if any, about Jesus, wrath, the cross, salvation, forgiveness of sins, faith, heaven and hell, and eternal joy in God. So we're concerned about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. Everyone on this planet, their greatest need is that they would know God through Christ Jesus. And so uh, we're to meet people's needs physically, emotionally, financially, and relationally. And Luke 10, 25 through 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan is a great example of that. And let me just say this. You guys are doing a fantastic job. You guys are really doing a good job as a, as a church. Now, there's, there's more that we could do, but we will certainly be able to do those as we grow more and as, as many of you get off the bench and into the game and start participating with us so we could do more in that area. And um, what, what's interesting here is that, and this is what I see true about Americans, is that most people run when they see people's lives, families, neighborhoods falling apart socially and economically. But as Christians, our default mode should be that we run to those people. So if you've got somebody in this church or somebody in your small group and they're just like totally high maintenance, don't avoid them. Get up close and personal to them. They're desperate to see the love of God. That's why they're acting the way they are. And you have what they need. So you press in. And, um, and you love them. Where things are the worst, we are to pour ourselves out in time, money, emotion, with loving deeds. We are to be salt and light in this world, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And we do that, no strings attached, because we have people that we've reached out to and we, we were hoping to earn the right to be able to speak to their life spiritually and some have just said, hey, nope, we just want the food. And we're okay with that, no strings attached. We still wanna meet your needs but we would hope to be able to, to build a bridge of relationships so that then we can talk to you about the more important needs of our lives. And that's our relationship with Christ and knowing his love and experiencing his love and, and preparing us for, for all eternity. And so, uh, so we talk about, we deal with the physical needs. We want to meet physical needs, but most importantly, we want to meet spiritual needs because that's our greatest need. Because people apart from Christ 
are going to experience what it tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. There will be a time when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Everyone apart from Christ will have that experience, and that's where they're headed. Eternal doom. The Bible's very clear about that. Here's the next point on your notes. Love is, is both the desire and the effort to make others everything God intends for them to be. So it gladly meets the needs of others. This is part of that. So we're concerned about all kinds of suffering, especially eternal suffering, but love is both the desire and the effort to make others everything God intends for them to be. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. it's the second part of the great commandment, and it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, you do a really a good job at loving yourself. I mean, you don't miss a meal, unless you're gonna fast. And you, you got clothes, you, you, you shop at some pretty nice places, like Costco. <laughs> That's where I get all my clothes. Thank you very much. And, uh, and you guys, uh, you, have, you have nice cars, and you have nice homes, very comfortable homes. And so you take really good care of yourself. A lot of people think, well, I don't really like myself. And believe me, you do. Okay. I can see in your life that you really love yourself. In fact, that's a bit of a problem. You're very self-absorbed and self-centered. But, uh, but he says that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, he's saying, put as much energy, enthusiasm, creativity, vision into taking care of others' needs as much as you take care of your needs. And we very seldom live to that level. That's a real high bar. And it just reminds us of how desperate we are for Jesus. But boy, is it fun trying to reach that bar for his glory and honor. It's a great way to live. So when the book of Proverbs speaks of the righteous and the wicked, it does this contrast. We often think it means the moral and the immoral, and that's only partially right. The Hebrew words for righteous and wicked have a very strong social aspect. Listen to what uh, Bruce Wilkie, a commentator, writes. He says, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. And the wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to, it, to advantage themselves. So the righteous would say, much of what I have belongs to the people around me because it all comes from God and he wants me to love my neighbor. The wicked would say, I can do whatever I want with my time, talents, and money. This is mine. And the Bible would say, that's wicked. And so, this is really what DB, Desert Breeze, is all about. Making others everything God intends for them to be. That's our heart. And uh, he brought you into his family to have a desire. So if you're in his family... You'll have a desire to want to meet the needs of others, but you'll also put forth the effort to help others become everything that God intends for them to be. Here's what I've learned from over 40 years of ministry. 
that God takes care of us when we take care of others. And my wife and I have experienced this for, this will be 29 years this Easter, it'll be 30 years the next Easter, and so we've experienced that. You can't outgive God. That's not a cliche, that's the truth. And so the more we have given of our time and our talents and of our finances to this church, through this church, to reach, meet the needs of others, oh my goodness, it's a delight to our heart. We feel like we're living in a sweet spot of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. There's nothing quite like that. And um, if, if I have no love for others and no desire to serve others and I'm only... I'm only concerned about my needs. I should question whether Christ is really in my life. In fact, here's an even kind of harder statement here. And this isn't for new people here at Desert Breeze. This doesn't apply to you, what I'm talking about here. So what I mean by new is that you're new here today or you've been new here for at least a year. Because sometimes when you come to a new church, you need to kind of uh, understand what they're about, it takes a while to get involved, and sometimes we're just recovering from whatever we've been experiencing in life, and that's perfectly fine and that's understandable. You need some recovery time. But this is for those of us that have been attending here for, uh, for regularly, I mean pretty consistently through the years, and, um, and it's, it, it's basically, basically this, if you are not involved beyond attending weekend services such as tithing, and small groups and ministry. We've got many ministry opportunities here at Desert Breeze. We've got a lot of places where you can get plugged in, where you can help to uh, meet the needs of others. And um, so if you are not involved beyond attending weekend services, you are a consumer Christian. And and I say that, I love you. I, I want the very best for you. And, uh, and there's, there's something that you're missing out on in the love of Christ. And I, I don't have anybody in mind as I'm saying this. Oh, uh, wait a minute. There's a few I have in mind. <laughs> They're not in this service, though. Oh, wait. Yes, they are. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love you. I love you, and I want the very best for you. And um, you don't want to be a consumer... Christian. It's easy to fall prey to that because we live in a consumer world. United States, we're all about consumers, capitalism, commercialism. It makes it all about us. Consumerism is about being focused all about me. And you're missing out on the love of God. So to love one another is both an old and new commandment, the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others and the distinguishing mark of a Christian. That's the, the last big idea we'll unpack. Now, This text in John chapter 13, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, later on in that chapter, this is what he says to them. A new commandment I give to you. And this is where John gets that idea. It's an old commandment, but it's a new commandment because of Jesus saying this. So he says, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples by your what? Love for one another. The distinguishing mark of a believer should be their love because we're so filled up with his love. By the way, all of this works really well 
in marriage relationships, believe me. Because my wife and I needed that in the early uh, days of, of our relationship, at least the first two decades, okay, where, <laughs> where we needed a lot of help to learn how to love one another. And the, and the key to that was, was, uh, was basking in the reality of what we had in Christ. We weren't good at that. And therefore, we were in this relationship and put too many demands on each other and didn't really understand what that was all about. And so uh, this should be the distinguishing mark of a Christian is this love. To say you are a Christian and to hate anyone is to still be in darkness. That's your next fill in the blank there. It's based on verse nine. It says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. So if you, if whoever says that he is in the light, I have an intimate relationship with God, but you hate someone, he's just saying, "Mm, no, that's not true. That's a major contradiction. So what is this darkness? I think the darkness is found in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So we have an adversary trying his best to keep us blinded to the, the glory of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is absolutely stunning and beautiful. And so the enemy is trying to keep you blinded to that. And have you ever tried to talk to a friend about Jesus and they just roll their eyes and they yawn and go, nah, I don't need him. That's good for you, but not for me. And you begin to describe a little bit of what he's done and they just, that. Uh, what you're doing is you're trying to describe, it'd be like trying to describe a, a sunrise or a sunset to someone who's blind. You can try to describe the colors and how beautiful it is. They have no concept. So you have to pray that God would open their blind eyes and deaf ears to hear what you're saying. So lostness is blindness to the glory of Christ Jesus. And so walking in the light would also be kind of defined by this. These are two verses that I've been thinking about lately, and I love these verses. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So that's quite a list. I, I have those experiences in my life. And here's the cure. Here's the cure. Verse 32 of Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. If you understood how much he's forgiven you, oh my goodness, you would would be kind to others and tenderhearted and forgiving of them. I, I realize that sometimes when you've been hurt, You've been devastated, you've been abused. It takes time, I understand that. It's not a once and done and everything's cool. You might have to work through that for a time and every time you see that person or, or you're reminded of that person, you, there might still be that seething inside but you gotta keep taking that to the cross over time and he will heal you. So it's a process, it's important. And, and by the way, let me just also say that there's a major difference between forgiveness, reconciliation and trust. They're not all the same. They're not all the same. Forgiveness has to do with our past and it takes only one to forgive. And so no matter what anybody has ever done to you, you need to work through the forgiveness to find healing in Christ. But you can forgive and maybe never reconcile because reconciliation has to do with the present and it takes two to reconcile. It takes two to reconcile. 
So it's a two-way street. You can take care of your side of the street, and unless they apologize and, and take responsibility and seek forgiveness, you can't reconcile with them. So it's a two-way street. But trust is also something altogether different. You can forgive someone and maybe even be reconciled to them, but it doesn't mean you're going to trust them. In fact, it would be unwise to immediately jump right back into that relationship, that abusive relationship or whatever it might be because uh, trust cannot be demanded but can only be earned over time based on performance. So when someone demands you, well, you just have to trust me. No, you don't. Don't you dare. They have to reestablish that trust. In fact, their heart, a, a genuine heart would be, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry that I broke your trust. I want to do everything I can to reestablish that. Please forgive me. That would be a normal, healthy response to that. Here's the next point in your notes. To love others is evidence that you've made your home in Christ's love you made your home in Christ's love. Look at verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So what is this light? I think it's best described in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's intimacy with God. You're walking in communion and communion with the God of the galaxies and you're walking in that light. It is being so captivated by the beauty and the glory of, of the person and work of Christ that it ruins you. It absolutely ruins you for anything else. You're just captivated by him. You love him. Your whole life is devoted to him. See, that's normal Christianity. And um, here's the next point on your notes. To make your home in Christ's love gives you every reason to live a life of meaning, hope, and happiness. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of what people have done to you. To make your home in Christ's love gives you every reason to live a life of meaning, hope, and happiness. Look at verse 10c, the tail end of that verse. He says, in him there is no cause for stumbling. What does he mean by that? Well, I think he, he explains it in the next verse, verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so in him there is no cause for stumbling. There's no reason to live a meaningless, hopeless, unhappy life. No matter what you've experienced, he gives us meaning, hope, and happiness regardless of what's going on. We have meaning in him. We, we, know, uh, we know our origin. He created us and we know our purpose we are to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbors as ourselves, and we know our destiny. You don't need to kind of rumble and stumble through the dark anymore because as you walk in the light, you will be illuminated to meaning, hope, and happiness that is out of this world. And, and what you will realize is that um, yesterday's failures, today's burdens, and tomorrow's uncertainties are no match for God's grace working for us and in us and through us. Let me end with this uh, verse. It's a great verse, Proverbs 4, 18 through 19. I've been reflecting on this verse for quite a number of years. I love this verse. It kind of describes the Christian life. 
And the unchristian life also it makes it in contrast. It says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. Think of the light of dawn. Beautiful to watch the sun coming up early in the morning. We have some beautiful sunrises. And if you're up early enough to see them, uh, now we have an advantage because the sun is delayed in coming up. But in the summertime, a little bit harder. Uh, but, uh, but, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. Notice this, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. That should be your life. You see the beauty of the sun rising and then it gets brighter and brighter until full day as you're living in his presence, enjoying all that he is, all that God is for you in Christ Christ Jesus. Now, it makes a contrast here. He says, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And, uh, and so to love God and others is, is not flawless obedience, but faithful consistency, like the light of dawn growing brighter and brighter until full day. So here's my question for you as we end. Are you growing in your capacity to love God, that you have this ferocious passion for God? And are you growing in your capacity to love others? You have a ferocious compassion for others out of his love for you. Are you growing? You can be. You should be. And next weekend, we're going to talk about how to grow in that. And that's 1 John 2, 12 through 14. My wife and I will be up front at the end of the service. If you are new, we would love to meet you. And uh, if you need prayer for any reason, we would love to pray with you. One of our elders, Daryl, and his wife, the Millers, will be up front here to pray with you. If you have any prayer needs, uh, we would love to pray, pray for you. So let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So Father God, your love demonstrated through the indispensable and costly sacrifice of your son on the cross to rescue and redeem us is the highest expression of love that we will ever see and may we grow in our capacity to love you and love others as we daily make our home in your boundless and irresistible love may our hearts overflow with joy in you that we gladly meet the needs of others by helping them to become all that you want them to be may may all people know that we are your disciples because of our love for one another we pray in Jesus' beautiful name and everyone said Amen. Love you guys. God bless you.